historians my name is christina and this is after mythology this is where we talk about a little tidbit from mythology <laughs> that's super fucked up today is part two of the story of atalanta who uh if i could make one mythological figure real it would probably be her she is my fantasy wife and i love her so um if you didn't listen to last week's episode i would probably go back and do that a lot of this won't make as much sense if you don't but brief recap Atalanta was abandoned at birth because she was a female and her father wanted a boy because he was a piece of crap. She was suckled by a bear of Artemis and was raised by two hunters as basically a baby Artemis. One of her major claims to fame as a young woman was killing two centaurs in self-defense. After she did this, she went to the oracle who told her to never get married and that if she did, she would lose herself. She trained as a badass warrior bitch, joined Jason on the Argonaut, was the first to fire the arrow that brought down the Caledonian boar, and then went home and said that any man who wanted to marry her had to race her for it, and they would die if they lost. And a lot of men died until Hippomenes came along. With Aphrodite's help, he cheated and won her hand in marriage. Now, most of the myths then end with a strange turn of events where Atalanta and Hippomenes get turned into lions. But when I was researching, I found one snippet that said that they actually had a child together. So I looked up some information about him. And that's where today's story takes place. It's from a play or book called The Thebiad. So uh, trigger warning before we start. War, death, grief, uh, loss of a child. It's kind of a bummer, but it's also really beautiful in a way. Like, I don't know. I like the sound of depressing stories personally. Um, I think that sometimes they're like more realistic. Sometimes they are um, like really beautiful in their own like weird fucked up way. So fucked up history sometimes is just really dark history. <laughs> fucked up mythology is just sometimes really dark mythology. So without further ado, sit back, relax and practice your oh good God, what the fuck faces. So this story picks up where the last episode left off, kind of. Atalanta and Hippomenes get married and they consummate their relationship without being turned into lions. And then later on, they have a son named Parthenopeus, who later becomes one of the seven against Thebes. Now, we mentioned him in passing in the Antigone episode when I talked about the war against Thebes, but I didn't really talk much about him because I couldn't really find much about him until I started researching Atalanta. So Parthenopeus is described as very young. He's most likely a teenager that should not be going to war. Atalanta tries to stop him and convince him that he can sit this one out, but he's proud and he's got that young, I'm never going to die attitude. So during the Battle of Thebes, he was a fierce warrior and he carried a shield that depicted his mother shooting the Caledonian boar. So his mother, it's like figuratively, literally at his side throughout the entire thing. He fights vigorously and ignores the advice of other warriors around him who are telling him to slow down and back off. And he continues to fight. Back home, Atalanta starts having nightmares that he won't return, that he'll die in battle. So one day before dawn, hair undone, flying in the wind, barefoot to connect with the earth, she goes to the waters of Leyden because she can't stop thinking about these nightmares and she would give anything to save him. 
So she makes her way to the shrine of Artemis at the base of a large oak tree. She prays to Artemis, who she is still devoted to. She said that although she was no longer a virgin, she was still a devoted huntress. And although she was a mother, that child was worthy of Artemis. He crawled to her weapons and asked for more. She taught him the way of the hunt. She taught him to be a warrior. She raised him on stories from the warriors that she fought side by side with. Heracles, Orpheus, Jason and Medea, Maleager. He went into war as a young child, not understanding the horrors of it. She prayed for Artemis to spare him or at least let her see him one more time. Let her die in his place. And if he did have to die, let it be an honorable death. Let it be a death that he would be proud of and that that she would be proud of but more importantly she just wanted him home and it was said that as Atalanta looked up even the oak tree was weeping for her so she takes everything that makes her her she lays aside her bow and her steel the Caledonian boar's hide the tusks her spoils from her life everything that made her her she would lose it all she places it at the base of the oak tree she was no longer scared of what the oracle said all those years ago and she would happily lose herself for her son so this is where that oracle idea if she never would have gotten married to Hippomenes, she never would have consummated her marriage. They never would have had a son and she never would have lost herself. Artemis listened. With swift feet, she made her way to the battlefield outside of Thebes. But on her way, she was intercepted by her brother Apollo. He's like, I know what you're trying to do, but it's hopeless. The fates have seen fit that none of the seven against Thebes will survive and there's no point going and trying to save him. But Artemis still goes. She says that she will protect him for as long as she can. And even though she can't save him, she will make sure that every person who harms him or attempts to harm him will not make it off that battlefield either. She lands on the hills of Thebes who knew Artemis. The woods themselves trembled at her arrival. They remembered all that she has done in her life and how fierce of a warrior this huntress truly was. Artemis watches as Parthenopeus rode around on his horse on the battlefield and he was so young and so inexperienced. He reminded the Theban warriors of their own sons as he rode by. They put down their spears and they let him pass, sighing with silent longing, wondering if they would ever see their sons again. And those who didn't yet have sons wondered if they would one day have a son so beautiful and full of life as Parthenopeus. Artemis watched on and cried. She sobbed. She mourned for him and she mourned for his mother. She thought of Atalanta and how she watched her raise little Parthenopeus and how Atalanta let him believe that he was this little fierce warrior as she protected him from the horrors of the world. She made her way onto the battlefield, disguising herself as a mist. First, she stole the light arrows straight from his quiver and replaced them with her own celestial darts that would always find their mark. And then she sprinkled ambrosia all over him and his horse so that no one could touch him. The soldiers looked on in awe as he starts taking down some of the best warriors with his bow and arrow. He doesn't even seem to aim. At one point, one Theban soldier named Amphion, who is a descendant of Zeus, was like, how long are you going to last, kid? The only reason people aren't coming after you is because you're a fucking child. Go back home to your mommy and I'm sure you're late for your next breastfeeding. And Parthenopeus is like, you want to talk about my fucking mother? Okay. Let's talk about my mother. My mother was Atalanta. 
My mother is beautiful. My mother should be treated like a fucking queen. My mother is a badass. My mother is a warrior and a huntress. She slaughtered two centaurs while your mother was sitting on her ass while other people decided who she was going to marry because the only thing that your mother could fucking amount to was being someone's wife and pumping out children. But looking at you standing before me, she probably should have just fucking swallowed because I'm sure she thinks that you're a fucking disgrace. And you want to talk about how young I am and think that that's an insult when I'm looking at your fucking army man and how they're fighting and I'm I might be too old perhaps I should go get some fucking toddlers to fight this battle perhaps that would be a more appropriate adversary for you and your fucking army because I was raised by a badass warrior huntress I was crawling along frozen rivers I was venturing into caves that were inhabited by wild beasts that you could only fucking dream of and the entire time my mother with blade and bow was at my side not just sitting at home banging on a hollow drum thinking that her life was actually fucking useful and meaningful and Artemis was watching this whole thing and was like <gasps> That might have taken it a little bit too far, babe. And Amphion agrees. And he throws this giant javelin right at Parthenopeus's face and he dodges it. But it, it's clear to Artemis that things are getting a little bit too dangerous. So Artemis disguises herself as Parthenopeus's tutor named Dorcius and told him, enough. Think of your mother who's worried sick about you. And Parthenopeus simply tells his tutor, that I I wish to bring honor to my mother and that if I die, it will be an honorable hero's death. And if I live, I will go back to my mother with my honor and tell her my stories just like she told me hers growing up. And and honestly, all I want to do right now is kill the bastard who was talking shit about my mom. And when I am victorious, when I rip the reins off that man's horse, when I grab the quiver off of his lifeless corpse, I will lay my spoils of war at the base of Artemis's altar. And I will give honor to her who I not only respect and follow, but I love so much because she took interest and loved my mother so much. And the quiver that I steal from this man's rotting fucking corpse would be a good gift for my mother so that she knows the kind of man that she raised. And Artemis just looks on with tears in her eyes as he turns and continues to fight. But as this conversation is happening between Parthenopeus and Artemis disguised as his tutor Dorcius, Aphrodite comes in. Now, she has a little bit of a grudge against Atalanta. We talked about that briefly. Atalanta denied love for so long. And then even after she got involved in her betrothal and she got married, Atalanta was still dedicated to Artemis and denied Aphrodite any offerings, as did Hippomenes. She gave Hippomenes the apples so he could win Atalanta's hand and he never even said thank you. So like that's another reason to take it out on Atalanta, obviously. So she goes over to Ares, who is her lover, longtime lover, not her husband. Her father, her her husband is actually Hephaestus, but Ares is like who she would be with if she could pick. And um, she's like, Do you see how Artemis is down there flaunting her virginity, taking victories that aren't hers, leading battles that aren't hers to lead, fighting wars that she shouldn't be fighting it? Is she the new god of war? Shall I get you a dress so that you can go hunt in the fucking forest and become the new huntress, Ares? And Ares is like, absolutely the fuck not, and descends into the fray of the battle and is like, what the fuck are you doing, Artemis? This is not your war. You will not win. Stop defending this boy. The fates have spoken none of the seven against Thebes are making out alive. Now get the fuck off my field. And she tries to argue with him, but at last she has to retreat and she just watches in shame and sorrow at what happens next. 
So Artemis watches as Ares walked over to a man named Dryas, who was son of Orion. Now, Dryas hated anyone who followed Artemis more than anything because of what she did to Orion. Artemis was involved in the death of Orion and Ares fills Dryas with rage and he starts cutting down any man in his path, making his way to Parthenopeus. Without Artemis at his side, Parthenopeus starts growing tired. His arrows start running low. They were no longer finding their target. His arms start feeling heavy. Parthenopeus looked all around him and saw less and less of his friends were at his side. He saw the real Dorotheus and stepped next to him, fighting by his tutor's side, but he could see that even the old man was growing tired. And then Dryas stepped before him. And suddenly Parthenopeus felt like a very small boy who should be at home with his mother. He felt like a very small boy who was not ready to die. He raised his shield and, and prayed in vain to Artemis. Then he put it down and he readied his bow as Dryas threw his spear, which sliced the bowstring in two and lodged itself into Parthenopeus' shoulder. The arrow and the bow fell from his hands as Dryas readied a second spear to finish the job. But before he could throw it, he fell so strangely to the ground without any word and he was dead. And I wonder who did that. I wonder who vowed to make sure that any man who harmed Parthenopeus would also not make it off of the battlefield. Parthenopeus is pulled aside by Dorcius, who tries to tell him he's okay, but 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 he knows what's coming, and and so does Parthenopeus. But even in his final breaths, Parthenopeus thinks of Atalanta. He asks Dorcius to go and comfort his mother, although he's sure that she already knows. He tells Dorcius not to come at her quickly or when she has weapons close by and when she's in a calm state, then tell her that my last words were that I deserve this and that I should have listened to her. She was right. I was too young to become a warrior. And even when you tried to restrain me, I still came. But know that I fought without fear mother, that your bravery that you instilled in me is what let me fight for as long as I did. Live, mother. I know you will be angry, but be angry at my pride, not at me, not at the gods, and don't blame yourself. My only regret is that I am dying so far away from home without you here to touch my face and receive my last breath. And Parthenopeus reaches up with the last of his strength and cuts a lock of hair from his head. He tells Dorcius to relay to his mother that this lock of hair, hair that she combed every night, much to his disdain, would have to be a stand-in for his body. He, he asks that she buries it more for her own sake than for his. He asks that no young child fires his arrows or leads his hounds in a hunt and to take his bow that was so unlucky in its first battle and either burn it or hang it high as a warning of the god's wrath and how ungrateful Artemis can be. But as we talked about in the Antigone episode, there were no survivors in the army of the Seven Against Thebes, and the terrible punishment that they received even after death is that none of them were allowed to be buried. The next we see of Atalanta is with the March of the Mourning Women. So those who fell in battle, who weren't allowed to be buried, were, of course, mourned by their wives and sisters and mothers. And in this group was Atalanta. This group of women marched to Thebes, and they were so sad, and the sight was so heartbreaking that deities started following with them. 
Hecate followed behind them, groaning and crying for their loss. Demeter took pity on them and led the way to Thebes with her secret fires. Hera took place at the front of the march, concealing them and hiding them from anyone who may have told them to turn back or have forbidden the journey. Iris, goddess of the rainbow, flew ahead onto the battlefield, still littered with bodies, and preserved the corpses of the leaders of the Seven Against Thebes, bathing their bodies in ambrosia. The group of mourners make their way to Thebes, and there is a man named Ornitus who tries to convince them to turn back. He tells them that if they continue, Creon will have them killed and take pleasure in taking them far away from the bodies of their loved ones to do it, and then they will not be buried either. He urges them to turn back, saying, you're only women. How would you fight against the powers of Thebes? He tells them that if they're really so determined to get onto the battlefield, they should go to Athens and appeal to Theseus because he was so involved with Oedipus. He respected Oedipus. He took pity on Oedipus and his children. And if there's anyone who will help them, it would be him. The women halted at these words and their tears ceased. They were not turning back. They were not going home. And one of the women named Argia, who was Polynices' wife with, quote, unfeminine power, decided that she would directly oppose the king's decree, quote, despite her gender, and be like an Amazon. And Amazon would not step back and be afraid. And she felt guilty because she spurned on Polynices and convinced him to go and build up his army. And she could see his body, but more so his naked ghost haunted her dreams. She tells the women that they can do whatever they want. They can go home or go to Athens, but she was going in the castle and she would confront Creon head on. My sisters-in-law are in there. My husband's family is in there. His mother is buried there and his uncle is king. I am not a stranger and I will not be ignored. I'm not going to wait while we travel to Athens and talk to Theseus, who may or may not help because he's terrible. And she made her way onto the battlefield. Her way is lighted by Hera and the full moon. She finds the body of her husband and runs straight into Antigone. And together, they mourn Polynices, and together, they bury Polynices. The other women who marched with Argia, Atalanta included, went to Athens to ask Theseus for his help, still led on by Hera. They prayed upon an altar that wasn't any deity in Athens. It was just to mercy itself. Theseus came and listened to the women. They didn't ask for vengeance against thieves for their loved ones dying. They knew the risks that their loved ones took going to war. What we ask for... Theseus is for them to be treated like men, no matter where they were from or what side of the war they fought on. They were born under the same stars as the Thebans and deserve to get their burial rights. Where do you stand, Theseus? On the side of justice or on the side of villainy? If you don't help us, where does the savagery end? Truly you defeater of the Minotaur, warrior in battle, know that this is wrong. What would your mother think? And Theseus agrees. He declares that if Creon does not right these wrongs, he will now be at war with Athens so soon after this last war when his troops are deeply injured and their numbers are cut. And this myth is really making me have an existential crisis because who am I, if not hater of Theseus for abandoning the sweetest and most beautiful princess on an island, which we will discuss later on this year. But but who am I, if not hater of Theseus and hater of the Oracle? And this the, this myth is just like, <laughs> you thought that, but actually you're wrong. 
Even Athena was at his side, screaming and shaking her shield so that Medusa's image woke up and her snakes reared and they marched into Thebes. Even Theseus's wife, Hippolyte, who was the leader of the Amazons, wanted to go to war, but she just found out she was pregnant and Theseus urged her to stay home. He asked her to forgo her thoughts of war and hang her quiver. Its services are now complete in their marriage chamber. And I don't think this is intentional because the story is not about Atalanta. Like the Thebian is not about Atalanta. I'm just choosing to tell it from her perspective. But I think of what the Oracle said to her when she warned Atalanta never to get married because she'd lose herself. And this is exactly what's happening to Apollody. It's the expectation that regardless of who you were before marriage, if you are a woman, you cease to exist the moment those marriage vows are made, even if you are the leader of the Amazons. Theseus marches towards Thebes with soldiers and the mourning women in tow, including Atalanta. And when they arrive in Thebes, they let Creon know that they come in peace, but are not afraid to fucking fight if Creon does not see the error of his ways. Creon is like, I make no mistakes. I have never made a mistake in my life. Fight me, bitch. You already know what happens to those who lose against me. But on the inside, he was panicking and he was shitting himself. But he so ordered his troops who had just finished fighting to head out. But out of the corner of his eyes, he's making his way out of the castle onto the battlefield. Are those the furies in the castle? Those deities of vengeance come to Thebes to right the wrongs against nature? Are they here for him? The Theban armies meet the Athenians on the field. The slaughter is brutal and favoring the Athenians. And Theseus and Creon come face to face. And with a single spear, Creon is killed. Theseus stood over Creon's body and said, Now will you grant the burial rites to your dead foes? Now will you let these women bury their husbands and brothers and sons? Go to your dark punishment, Creon. But even I will bury you and let you have the underworld that you deserve. Because... I'm not a monster, despite what Christina thinks in like every other myth about Theseus. <sighs> and the mourning women let their grief take them to the bodies of those that they held dear. And Atalanta at last held her son, Parthenopeus. She touched his face and wept. His beauty was still intact, thanks to Iris and either side, Theban and Athenian alike beheld them and wept at the lost beauty of Parthenopeus and the grief of his mother as she built the funeral pyre and buried her son. So yeah, not as fun as an ending uh, with the lion thing. Um, I suppose you could say she went home and like found Hippomenes and the lion thing still happened. If you want, if you want to like end on like a weird fucked up, slightly positive. No, I mean, I don't know. Maybe as a lion, she like forgot all of her sorrows. Um, and then that's like her happy ending that she forgot that she, had a son to mourn, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I like the story of Parthenopeus. Like, I, I think it's really sad and it's depressing. But um, I I like that way more than the myth that she turned into a lion and like lost herself that way. Because with Parthenopeus, she willingly lost herself. It's like a sacrifice almost, you know, she wasn't sad that she lost herself. She raised a child that she loved wholeheartedly that she raised to be a confident and brave warrior, even though she was there the whole time to defend him and protect him for whatever lurked in the woods. And she was a badass warrior and a badass hunter and became a badass mother. And like, there's nothing wrong with that. And she put it all aside 
to try and save her son. I have to say too, like when I was researching this and writing this podcast, I had a moment where I was questioning whether I should actually do this story because she's just a background character in a lot of the other stories about these like crazy warriors. But I think, um, I don't know. I think that's just sort of like the Greek mythological way, you know, like if they're not a deity or mother of a warrior, you don't really hear anything about them. Uh, Even in the case of deities, like how many myths does Artemis have versus like her brother Apollo or Zeus? Like barely any of these myths that feature female deities would pass the Bechdel test. You know what I mean? But Atalanta is amazing. And and every myth that I told today about her would not have happened at all or would would have been extremely different if she wasn't there. So she's a significant mythological figure that gets pushed aside a lot. But there wouldn't have been the Caledonian boar hunt or Parthenopeus if it wasn't for her. And she deserves to be talked about and she deserves to be the main character. I mean, most of the things I see about her are like five to 10 minute stories. And I've obviously been talking for like almost an hour before I start editing. Even if her myths make me have uh, extreme existential crises and analyze all of my opinions uh, as the Oracle is not a bad person and like neither apparently is Theseus now. um, (laughs) I I still like it. I still enjoy telling the story. I told my husband all of this. I was like, who am I? I'm having an existential crisis. And he's like, oh, so it's just like Greek mythological fan fiction. Okay. And like, I like that description. (laughs) So I fell in love with Atalanta when I came across the story of her race and the apples. I was like, yes, I love a girl who takes agency of her life and sticks it to the patriarchy. Um, And then I learned more about her and I fell in love with her even more. And I hope that you love her as well. Thank you so much for listening today. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more, please consider subscribing or leaving a review or joining my Patreon. If you have any stories from history or mythology or historical true crime, please let me know. You can email me or message me. All of my contact information is in the description. And remember, friends, history may be watching you, so don't fuck it up. And happy International Women's Day. Remember to bathe in the blood of the patriarchy whenever you can. Bye.